I grow tired of hearing what's wrong with young people that they aren't coming to church. And I want to redirect that to our job being modeling good community. You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. So now what? Well, you can join me, Pastor Allen, and my colleague, Pastor Carissa, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. This is episode five of Soft Idolatry. This week we are going to be talking about loving neighbor and honoring our fathers and mothers. We are going to be dealing particularly with the fifth commandment and how it pivots from loving God to loving neighbor. Carissa, what was your sermon title yesterday? What's the matter with kids today? Ooh, tell me more. What is the matter with kids today? Well, it's a song that is now stuck in my head, for starters. (laughs) Um, Well, I think every generation thinks there's something wrong with kids today. Mm -hmm. Right? Look back at Bye Bye Birdie, where that song came from. And, you know, I found a meme a while back that was a photo of an old newspaper clipping about somebody griping about kids at school using paper instead of slate because kids are not going to know how to use slate properly (laughs) when they grow up because they're using all this paper and nobody's going to continue using paper. We need to stick to the old ways. So talking about this cycle of everyone thinks there's something wrong with the next generation, but we need to figure out ways to Mm -hmm. bridge these gaps. My title was A Higher Calling, and my other reading was Luke 13, 10 through 17, in which Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. And the point of the sermon title is that sometimes there are things more important than the letter of the law, namely human flourishing. So I deal with that and also the fifth commandment to honor mother and father. What's your other, what was your other text yesterday? Even though you are the one who is more frequently described as a contrarian, mm-hmm. I, I do love the play between scripture passages that seem to contradict one another in some way. So I used Luke 14, 25 through 33, where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Ooh, there's a lot of contrast there. There is a lot of contrast there. And that's exactly what I liked about that, that interplay between the two and this realization that it's not always as simple as we want to make it out to be. That's and... a, that sounds like a very nuanced sermon. I, I had a baptism on my hands, so somehow I just didn't find it appropriate to say hate mother and father. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> that's Yeah. Our text this week is the fifth commandment. Um, So we are reading, I am reading Deuteronomy 5, 6, and then continuing with verse 16. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
We've already talked about how loving neighbor is central to the commandments. And in fact, we talked about that quite a bit in our intro when we pulled from the Mark passage where Jesus talks about the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. But it's important to pull that theme back out again this week as we transition from the loving God commandments to the loving neighbor commandments. And it seems kind of like strange terminology to refer to honor your father and mother as a neighbor commandment. But I think that's really key to our understanding here. Yeah. I mean, really, your parents are your first neighbors. How you do relationship with your parents will be reflected in how you do relationship with everyone else in your life. Yeah, that's really foundational. And a lot of people who struggle with healthy relationships later in life, it stems back to unhealthy relationships within their family of origin as well. And we sometimes have to relearn those, those patterns. Would those patterns have been present among the Israelites during the Exodus or before? Well, were the Israelites a group of people? They were a group of people. Then yes, <laughs> that absolutely would have been present. We find it not only in family dynamics, we find it in congregational dynamics and community dynamics. And in the particular case of Israel, this was a traumatized community, right? The entire Hebrew people had been traumatized by this experience of slavery, and they needed to relearn what God's community looks like. And so that starts with honoring mother and father that starts with good relationships with parents. Right. It, it seems like if you're putting the commandments of treating neighbors in a hierarchy of like worst to least bad, they don't seem to come in order, right? Because uh, honoring father and mother, which at least when I was a kid was taught to me as like blind obedience to my parents uh, which was fine for me because my parents are genuinely good people and didn't ask me to you know, do things that were inappropriate or anything like that. But that seems like such a lesser thing than murder, right? Disobeying right. a parent. And so um, that's why we need to look at how foundational this whole idea is and where it fits in in the grand scheme. Yeah, I think we have to go back to our broader context in our choice of Deuteronomy as our jumping off point for the discussion of the Ten Commandments. This is Moses preaching sermons to the Israelites just before they enter into the Promised Land. And we catch a glimpse of that in this commandment. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is an inheritance. In Hebrew, the word is nahala, and it is a gift. It is, it is something that will be handed down. So what needs to be handed down along with the land is a set of good and healthy relationships. Because we're going to see when we get into the other commandments about loving neighbor we are going to see the fruits of unhealthy relationships. Right. And we talked a couple of weeks ago, too, about how Hebrew is a language of action. It's a language of verbs. And this is an example of a Hebrew noun 
property, inheritance, possession coming from the verb. The verb is nahal, which means give for one's own or bestow. So it's this this passing down of something important to someone important. Just as God has bestowed the promised land to the people, Israel. Exactly. Those are the same uh, the same words right there. Yeah. I can I can I share a fairy tale? It's actually not a fairy tale. Oh, uh, what is it? So it it is by the brothers Grimm, who are mostly known for fairy tales. Uh, but like the Ten Commandments, were not written uh, for children, and we'll talk about that just a little bit later. <laughs> the Brothers Grimm also did not write for children. We tend to think of them as children's authors because many of our Disney movies come from things that they wrote down. Um, that things that we like. call fairy tales. Correct. And things that often were told before they wrote them down or had been written previously, much like the Ten Commandments, we got a lot of parallels here. Um, so this one is actually, it's a very short one, and it's called The Old Man and His Grandson. And I think it has a lot of the themes that we're seeing in this, in this commandment. Do tell. I will tell. There was once a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, his knees trembled, and when he sat at table he could hardly hold the spoon and spilt the broth upon the tablecloth or let it run out of his mouth. His son and his son's wife were disgusted at this, so the old grandfather at last had to sit in the corner behind the stove and they gave him his food in an earthenware bowl and not even enough of it. And he used to look toward the table with his eyes full of tears." Once, too, his trembling hands could not hold the bowl, and it fell to the ground and broke. The young wife scolded him, but he said nothing and only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl for a few halfpence out of which he had to eat. They were once sitting thus when the little grandson of four years old began to gather some bits of wood from upon the ground. What are you doing there? asked the father. I'm making a little trough, answered the child for father and mother to eat out of when I am big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and presently began to cry. Then they took the old grandfather to the table and henceforth always let him eat with them and likewise said nothing if he did spill a little of anything. Hmm, interesting. Caring for parents, showing this honor is about caring for the vulnerable and it is also about providing for the future and not just in a squirreling things away for a physical inheritance but looking at the spiritual inheritance of the family the inheritance of values as well we should go ahead it sounds almost like a harry chapin song <laughs> are you gonna sing every episode <laughs> no i am not because out of the two of us, the one that should be singing every episode is probably not you. <laughs> so we should take care of our elders as they age. But uh, like other commandments, this goes far beyond that. It's a community blessing. It's part of the covenant that was given so that everyone can live in wholeness. Kalas, who I have been drawing from, says, you shall accept the blessing of the past so you can have a future. Right. This isn't about deserving honor. This is 
about practicing honor. It's about repeating the practice of good relationship that starts at home. Yeah, this isn't about um, blind obedience because our parents deserve it. In fact, there are plenty of parents out there that don't deserve blind obedience. Uh, and it's it's about th- this word honor is about treating people with value. Right. And like, like the Grimm story, it's aimed at adults, not at children. This would have been probably read on a regular basis in worship. So it was used liturgically. And to take it a step further, it probably just would have been men hearing it, but it would have been repeated publicly so that everyone knew the law. It would have been expected that the commandments would be heard in worship and then repeated to the entire family, even among people who couldn't read and write. Which would have been a vast majority of the people at that time. Easily 97, 98% of the population. I would love to know where you pulled those statistics from. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I learned something about literacy rates in the ancient world a long, long time ago. And that's what sticks in my head is that the literacy rates were about 2 or 3%. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Folks, you might want to fact check us on that one, but it sounds plausible to me. Um, yeah, so there are some parents out there, right, that we cannot traditionally honor, but that doesn't mean we can't treat them with value. Uh, Setting boundaries is honoring someone. In this case, it means just treating someone with great worth and letting someone run rampant in your life is not treating them with great worth. And it's not treating yourself with great worth either. No. And, you know, this is one of those places where we have to be informed by what we now know about human behavior and relationships. The fact is there are people who are toxic and sometimes those toxic people go on to have children. And we can, if, if we are in relationship with one of those people, and I, and I will say like you, I definitely did not have any toxic parents. But there are going to be times and there are going to be people that you encounter who do have toxic relationships with their parents. So I think in the context of the Ten Commandments, this is also about practicing grace, if not deference. I mean, historically, you had to honor a mother, your mother, because if your father died first, well, she was still in the house and she was a widow, so she needed someone to protect her. So in the context of the, you know, the first millennia BCE, this is very much concerned with taking care of your elderly mother who is past childbearing years, but still living in your house. And if we look at some of the narratives in the Old Testament, we even see some of these widows who are at great risk. They're very vulnerable because of their position as an unmarried woman who is no longer under her father's household. Right. And this is a recurring theme in the prophets that, that 
we are commanded to uphold the widow and the orphan. This is this is all over Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you name it. It is we one sometimes okay. Oh, it, it, it's one of the charges that prophets will frequently level against the religious and political authorities in Judah and Israel. There, yeah, there are a few things that God finds less tolerable in scripture than letting the vulnerable go uncared for. Correct. In my context where I am currently serving, I find this particular commandment and this theme and this idea to be really interesting at the community level. Uh, the folks that I have in my congregations, if you guys are listening, I love you so much and you are amazing at taking care of each other. They're really great at caring for one another. And much like I did with Sabbath, where I said, let's look at this at a different level because you're all here on Sunday and making the Sabbath holy. So I don't need to harp on you about being here on Sunday to make the Sabbath holy. Uh, I want to do that with this commandment too, as we continue exploration in it and look at it as the, the wider church community rather than just individuals. Yeah, the community now looks very different than it used to. We have so many more we have so many more mothers and fathers, or to be more accurate, grandmothers and grandfathers who are coming to church by themselves, who are not as connected perhaps as they would like to be to their children. And the church can be that surrogate family where we make sure that our elderly congregants are honored all the time. Uh, we, we do this on a, on a monthly basis where we have a luncheon for, uh, it used to be the over 80 crowd, but I think we've dropped it down to the over seven, the 75 and over crowd now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and some, some of them are in very good health and very connected and some of them less so. That is not actually where I was going with it, but I do love that. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Uh, there, That's one of the arguments for helping small elderly congregations continue being because we need, we need to honor that these are spiritual mothers and fathers who have raised up generations of people. I'm even thinking on a grander scheme of not necessarily physical age, but often you have folks who've been at the church for a long time. They know the traditions. And even you can look at the traditions of the church or the history of the church as the parents, so to speak. And as we move into the future as a church and try to figure out what church means today in this time and space by reading about what church was meant to, you know, was said to be thousands of years ago in another time and space, um, how do we honor the traditions of the past while looking toward the future? Because we have to do both. We can't throw away all of the old and go straight to the new because that does not honor the history and the past of the community. 
But by the same token, if we remain stuck in the past and do not consider the well-being of the future, then we get stuck and we fizzle. Right. And we need to be conscious that these folks are still vulnerable, even if they have material resources and legal status in ways that they're protected that um, elderly parents would not have had in the ancient world, they are still vulnerable. They can still be cut off from loved ones, from, from their church community. They can be cut off by physical impairment. Uh, I was with a gentleman today who, who is losing his memory and it was very painful to just watch him struggle with that and struggle for words. I've, uh, I have found myself working with the elderly time and time again, and it's never something that I would have envisioned years ago. And it's not something I would give up for the world at this point. Absolutely not. I, I think, frankly, I could have envisioned this uh, or I'm not surprised by it simply because of my family dynamics and how much time I spent with elderly relatives growing up and, frankly, how many of them had very long lives and I got to have them in my life as, as I was an adult myself. So I am not the least bit surprised in that regard that I am serving as a pastor uh, and it's one of those really wow moments when I realized how I was formed for this job. Yeah, I even spent time working in a retirement community on the administrative staff and wound up spending a lot of time with with older folks in that context. And now my two congregations, while they are they're actually not as old, if you look at the median age, as many congregations, every, every small Presbyterian church has a large number of elderly folks. Um, yeah, I would, delightful. they, they are delightful. And I think that's probably, I, I think we can be honest and uh, extrapolate that out to every mainline church and every Catholic church. Um, and I wouldn't even be surprised if it's somewhat true of the evangelical churches. Yeah. And it makes me really sad when people kind of poo-poo older congregations because, oh, well, they don't have young families. There's those stupid unicorns again. And, <laughs> you know, so what? I don't, I don't care if they do. I care that young families are being reached. I care that children and youth are being reached. But we've talked about some of the, the barriers to having those folks in church on Sunday and how we need to find new and creative ways of reaching them. Um, but that just makes me sad. There's such a, a rich community life that comes from having those generational interactions. Yeah. I think I, the best, the best part of my week this week was sitting down with a 94 year old woman in my office for an hour and a half. Oh, just wow. Talking. That, that, that is often an awesome, awesome thing. 
Yeah. So I, I think we, we have already answered our own so what question as to how this commandment really operates in our congregational setting today. I mean, this is right. about continuing to look out for the aged and the vulnerable and to bring wholeness to the community. Um, right. That's, that's the problem is if we don't do this, if we segregate and we don't have worship in communities that represent the entire spectrum of ages, then all of those communities miss out on something. Right. Uh, Carl Bart warns us not to gloss over the concrete aspect of honoring parents, of just treating our, our actual parents with value and worth. But like all commandments, this one has layers, just like ogres and onions and parfaits. Everybody <laughs> loves parfait. It's a Shrek reference for those of you like Alan who might not necessarily get that. Oh, I, I, I saw Shrek. I just didn't remember that line. <laughs> and, and another... Um, Another thing that we had uh, talked about earlier in the week in our, our planning for this, you shared a story from The Sopranos. Do you want yeah, to? Yeah. So, so, I mean, maybe it's just because I, I live in Jersey now that I can't get The Sopranos out of my head. But uh, one of the things that I loved about that series was that they, uh, they, they had... David Chase, the series creator, had the guts to come up with an awful mother character. Uh, at one point, Tony Soprano's mom gets mad at him, and she knows that Tony is feuding a little bit with his uncle, and uh, she basically gives the uncle the green light to kill Tony. And though it doesn't happen, uh, I, I, I love the honesty in that it acknowledges sometimes there is that horrible parent out there and that there are people who are scarred by this and are continuing to deal with that rather than the than the mom and apple pie image that comes out of most tv shows that well everything's great about mom and this was a case where it wasn't so uh one of the many little quirks of The Sopranos that made for great television and great storytelling. I have never seen that, but you may have just motivated me to uh, hop on Netflix. As soon as I'm done watching every episode of Queer Eye, that might be my next binge. <laughs> there you Love go. Love that show. Okay. Uh, yeah. This, we want to be careful not to use commandments in ways that might hurt others. We've talked about that a couple of times. And this one can be particularly sensitive. We have people in our everyday lives all around us who have been deeply hurt by their parents. And to say that you always have to interact with your parents in this particular way is harmful to people. I have seen the harm that that has done to people. So we want to make sure that we are encouraging people that boundary setting with folks who might be toxic both in family, like family of origin family, and in church family. That is really important. Boundaries, setting boundaries with other people 
shows them that they have value, whether they realize that or not. Uh, it doesn't always go over well, but that is a way of showing value and worth to someone and honoring them. And this even goes for treating people with value and worth um, who might be considered the old guard in the congregation or stuck on the old traditions. Yeah, I think that is uh, an, an excellent an excellent reminder that even if it's a tradition that doesn't seem like it's worth keeping on, you can at least listen to the story of that tradition. I took the passing of the peace and I moved it recently. Where did you move it to? So I took it from right after confession, which I find to be very distracting in congregations where everyone greets everyone. Like it is a merry-go-round of people shaking hands with everyone in the congregation. Half of the people go clockwise, half go counterclockwise, and everyone shakes hands with everyone. And just as you're settling into the worship after the confession, getting ready to hear the word, everybody's getting up and walking around. And I find that to be disruptive. So I also love the theology of the passing of the peace, though. It's a way of sharing forgiveness and and love and, and peace with one another, which is important. So I took it like many churches do, and I put it at the end of the service and encouraged people to pass the peace with one another as they departed. Hmm. That would that would that could work, especially if you had an organist that you didn't really like and you could just kind of stick that there, you know. (laughs) That is not why I put that there. (laughs) Cindy and Tom, if you're listening, that's not why I put that there. No, but I wanted to encourage people to pass the peace, just not in the middle of the service. So in one of my congregations, that went fine. People actually like it better there. And I, I got a lot of positive feedback. But there was dang near a revolution in my other congregation because of the movie, because they love it so much. Even though they have just spent half an hour to 45 minutes fellowshipping and sharing coffee and cookies with one another before the service, they still wanted that particular interaction in the service. And nobody was doing it at the end. They just mm-hmm. left like they normally did which was very strange. So I put it back this week and I put it, well, last week, and I put it right after the announcements. So it was still before we had technically started worship. We hadn't sung our gathering song yet, but everyone was there. We had done the announcements. And then I said, as we gather together, let us remember that we are here in peace and love and forgiveness and so please extend signs of peace to one another. And then they did the, the merry-go-round of people shaking hands. And I got hugs at the end of the service. Like people were in tears. They were so glad that the passing of the peace was back. While it had been not a big deal at all at the other church that it was gone, it, they were so moved by having it back, even though... Then they, even, they didn't notice it was in a different place. I think they noticed, but that didn't matter because they had been explicitly given permission to do that thing and they started off the service like that. Mm. And so it was just an interesting, I don't want to say experiment, that's the wrong word, because I'm not experimenting with with people and their spiritual lives, but it was an, an interesting study in how those those traditions can be really important, and we need to find ways to honor them that aren't disruptive. So it's really all about you. 
obviously. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, as the, as the worship leader, you're trying to find ways to usher people into worship. And sometimes there is a thing in worship that needs to be moved or changed in order to help usher people into worship. And sometimes you have to be very careful in how you do that because you might just be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, you might. So, so I am admitting that I was wrong. <laughs> I, was, I was half wrong. <laughs> so for the coming week, uh, our our spiritual practice is we encourage you to purposely work on one relationship with a parent or a mentor. That could be a spiritual parent if if it is not your actual biological parent. So uh, if you no longer have uh, your parents to work on your relationships with, uh, find someone else in your congregation or perhaps in your professional life and uh, work on that relationship. If uh, do what you can to deepen it and to be intentional about practicing relationship. I have a prayer I would like to share this week. It's written by Ann Fitch. And I will share a link to this on the internet in the show notes. But let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for my parents. They have nurtured me and provided for my needs throughout my life. I am so grateful for their love, attention, guidance, help, understanding, and wisdom. They have sacrificed so much for my good. Help me to be as loving to them as they have been to me. Open my eyes to ways that I can be a blessing to them. Grant that I would be a source of joy for them and that I can honor them as they deserve to be honored. As they age, keep them healthy and strong and surround them with loving friends and family to support them and bring them joy. May your peace reign in their hearts and your love always encompass them. Amen. And now let us bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. What do you Um, think, Carissa? Do I have a radio voice? I think you're a weirdo. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) I have a radio voice. (laughs) Well, thank you, Radio Voice, for giving us yet another outtake for the tail end of the podcast. No doubt.